Okay, uh, this afternoon you want to have your dispensational chart out again, please. And uh, also your outline chart of God's orderly plan of the Bible and revealing His eternal plan. There will be sub-points on that. As we mentioned, the dispensations are mentioned there in the gray and blue, uh, but they're not dealt with in detail. But uh, you can have that handy. But we'll be using this main dispensational chart. And uh, just reminding ourselves as we began our last two sessions of the day, uh, that as we're looking at these uh, seven dispensations, it's a word that's in the Bible. It means administration, stewardship, something entrusted to one. It always has to do with God giving something, revealing His plan, uh, God dispensing something new that we're entrusted with. And so just reminding ourselves of that left-hand bottom part, where it says dispensation, the four elements of a dispensation, it's new responsibility dispensed by God. And the word new, something man did not have before. And as we brought out, it doesn't cease to exist. Something new will be added to it. Its role might change, but something new is added to it. Man will eventually fail, given enough time. Then there will be God's divine judgment. And then the whole plan of the woman's seed you know, conquering Satan will not end. There'll be divine grace displayed somehow to continue. Okay? So we've looked at free will. We saw Adam and Eve choosing to do wrong. One was deceived, the other transgressed. Uh, uh, we saw God's putting them out of the garden, the uh, coats of skin, uh, grace to continue, and so on. We ended right before lunch with the dispensation of conscience. Uh, we saw man picked up the knowledge of good and evil and eating of that. What later Romans will call the work of the law written in their hearts that all societies, all people have, activated by conscience. Therefore known as the dispensation of conscience, the knowledge of good and evil, that alone does not change man. He chooses evil. And we see he thought evil continually. The flood and destruction came, but God's grace to continue. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so the human race, the woman's seed, continued. And so now we've arrived this afternoon... Uh, at the third dispensation, looking at some of the highlights, notice at the bottom part of your chart, it's called government. That is human government. Government. Uh, the commission of mankind to govern uh, himself. And, and so we come to government. And that will take us to chapter 9 of uh, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 9, please. Book of Genesis and chapter 9. And you can expect, if we're observing Scripture correctly, and as we said, dispensation is not interpretation, it's observation of what God said and what He's done. As he, He's revealed things in a progressive way and has entrusted them to man. And now after the flood, we get to Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So they were to be fruitful, they were to multiply and refill the earth, replenish it. Not just one section, the whole earth was. So they were to migrate out into different parts of the earth and replenish the earth. That was God's command. And it uh, goes on to say in verse 2, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, and upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. 
Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat or food for you. As the green herb, I have given you all things. And so now man's diet is uh, expanded. He used to be able to eat the green herb and be a vegan or a vegetarian. But now every moving thing that liveth. And he's allowed to eat animals now. It goes on to say in verse 4, But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood, there shall uh, ye not eat. So the blood, which is the life, that's sanctified. Uh, that's what animals would shed in the sacrificial system later for the atonement of sin. The life of the flesh is in the blood, you know. Uh, Leviticus 17.11. So they weren't to eat the blood, but they could eat uh, animals. But he goes on to say in verse 5, And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it, at the hand of every man, at the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. And so while they were allowed to eat beyond herbs, they could now eat animals, but not the blood. They could not kill one another. Okay? And if a beast did or they did it, they couldn't kill humanity. Surely your blood of your lives will I require. So there's a sanctity put on human life. You can bite an apple. You can kill a cow. Make a hamburger if you want. But, but you can't uh, shed blood of a human. But if it does happen, looking at verse 6 now. Verse 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Now that little statement there, if you shed man's blood, you can shed an animal's blood. You can cut down a tree, okay, uh, also. But if you shed man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. The reason man is sanctified, he alone is in the image of God. And so you're touching God. He's in the likeness of God. And that is something our world has forgotten, isn't it? That humanity alone is in the image of God. The issue isn't animals. The issue isn't trees. The issue is humanity. And so if you shed man's blood, he says, by man shall his blood be shed. And so here's the institution of human government, that man for the first time is given something new, that he is allowed to, uh, to punish, to enforce and protect human life. And so by man shall his blood be shed. You know, this is new. There had been the murder of uh, Abel, remember? Go back to Genesis 4 for a minute. Go back to Genesis 4. Authority to prosecute, you see. But in Genesis 4, after Cain killed his brother Abel, uh, we get to verse uh, 14. When God says you're going to be a vagabond, the earth won't yield its full force. You'll have to go from spot to spot, kind of eke out a living Looking at verse 14 of Genesis 4. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. Cain's talking. And from the face, thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. Uh, they're going to know about me. I'll go from, they're going to be looking for my life. Well, God does something. Verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Cain doesn't get capital punishment. He says, in fact, if you touch Cain, you're going to have sevenfold vengeance to put the fear of God in him. And I don't know what it means, brothers and sisters, but there was a mark that would identify Cain as untouchable. You couldn't prosecute him unless somebody finding him should kill him. 
And so man had no authority to carry out capital punishment in, in the early days. But when you get to Genesis 9 now, after the flood, and after the corruption of mankind, God is going to introduce human government with its main role is to protect man who's in the image of God. And so we have the introduction in Genesis 9 that is now called the dispensation of human government. It's something new, you see. And so man is allowed to do that. Now, given enough time, what will man do with human government? Uh, people say government's the answer. You, you, you fear of God, you know, the, the capital punishment. Well, these things are necessary. But will that change the heart of man? Given enough time, let's progress now to Genesis chapter 11. And you'll see man's failure. And you have man's failure in Genesis 11. They were to replenish the earth. In other words, go out and refill the earth. And Well, the start of the kingdom of Babel, which Nimrod was the head of, chapter 10 says. But, but you get to chapter 11 and verse 1. Genesis 11 and verse 1. Man's failure now. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. So they're journeying from the east, they're migrating to fill the world. But they come to the plain of Shinar and they stop there, they dwelt there, and they're going to form a city. They quit scattering and they form a, a megapolis as we call it today. Uh, and, and here's what they do here, Genesis 11 and verse 3. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So their motive in this, one of their motives, was to quit scattering. We don't want to scatter. You have to be dependent on God for rain in little groups. But if we're big, if we can sustain man. We, we can put an infrastructure together. We can meet our own needs. Lest we're scattered and, you know, in little communities here and so forth. So they quit scattering. And to keep the people together, they build a city and they build a tower. You ever known of cities to, to build a tower? Well, they did. And the tower, I, I don't know. Some think it has religious context to it. It might. doesn't give us the details. It obviously has a psychological thing in the context. Like the Washington Monument, you're proud. Look at that strong tower. You know, uh, in other words, man has the ability here. We can build. We have the ability. This is the symbol that this is where you want to congregate. Man can sustain man. Look, look, at, look at their attitude of Babel in verse 4. Genesis 11 and verse 4. Let us make us a name. Right in the middle of verse 4. Let us make us a name. Let us. Man is the means of this. Man's the means. Let us. Make, 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 man is the, shall I say, uh, how do I put it? Let us make us. In other words, make us. Man is the means. A name. Man is the reason. All right? Let us make us a name. So we have man is the designer. He's the source. Let us. We'll design it. We'll build the tower. So man is the source. But how will it happen? Let us make us. We'll be the means. We'll cause it to happen. And man is the reason, a name. It'll show how great man is. That man is the answer to man. 
Never mind being small. Never mind scattering and having to look to this God. We are able to sustain ourselves. So here's the tower. Here's the city. Uh, man is the source. Let us. Man is the means. Make us. Uh, man is the reason and name. It'll show the greatness of man. That is the sin of Babel. Okay? That is the sin of Babel. And you know, that, that, that sin continues. That sin continues. I wanna, Babylon, is, it's a city in the beginning. It's a city later in the scriptures. It also becomes a nation under Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? It also becomes a nation. And in Revelation, it's a system. It's a way of thinking as well as a city. As well as a city. So Babylon can be a city. It can be a way of thinking. It can be a nation. And it, it runs throughout scripture. But it's built on humanism. Let us make us a name. Man is a source. Man is the means. And man is the reason. Now before we deal with the judgment and things like that, let me just explore Babylon a little more. As it grew into a nation with its king Nebuchadnezzar. So let's, let, we'll be back here. But let's go to Daniel chapter 4, please. The book of Daniel and chapter 4. Let's go to the prophet Daniel chapter 4. It's really Nebuchadnezzar sharing his conversion of an exalted king who had to be humbled by God. And God gave him the power to uh, conquer Babylon, you'll remember, to conquer Jerusalem, to discipline his people Israel. Nebuchadnezzar is called God's servant and so on. In fact, if you'll go back to Daniel 2 just for a minute, the government is of God, but can man abuse government? Going here to Daniel chapter 2 and look at verse 37, what he tells Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 2 verse 37, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the Lord God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. He was a king of kings. He was a world leader. And God gave it to him. God puts kings into power so that God is not against human government. He's ordained human government beginning in Genesis chapter 9. God gave him that. And he actually used Nebuchadnezzar to punish the people of God and destroy their temple. But the man was exalted in all this greatness. And God would have to humble this man greatly. And he actually was converted. But to see the thinking of Babylon... To see this humanistic side of Babylon, uh, as government can pervert itself, you go to chapter 4 now of Daniel. Chapter 4 of Daniel. And looking at verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar relating his testimony in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 28. All this came upon the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, what, what he says, verse 29, At the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. So his kingdom is Babylon. It's a city and it's a kingdom. But it's also a system of thinking. Look, look at verse 30. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? You know what he just said there? Let us make us a name. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom? He was the source. He designed it. He's provided a power. This great Babylon, I designed it all. Okay? So he's the source of Babylon at this time. But not only that, he's the means. Look again. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power? 
Oh, my authority, my power, my genius, my riches. I did it. Okay? So he's the source and he's the means. He's also the reason, not God, he is. Look at the end of verse 30. Uh, For the honor of my majesty. It will show how great I am. For my honor, my glory. So Babylon, remember, let us, the source, make us the means, a name, uh, the reason. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I have built uh, uh, the source by the might of my power, the means, the honor of my majesty, the reason. And God had to humble that man and turn him into an animal-like creature till he said, the most high God ruleth. And God used him. Can that still be possible today? That God can use a man who says, I built it. I'm the richest. My genius. Happened, didn't it? But the man had to be humbled, didn't he? Man had to be converted. The spirit of Babylon. I, I did it. My power. My riches. My greatness. And it's for me. I'm great. That is a godless spirit. And the man had to be dealt with in a severe way. And so we see the spirit of Babylon. The Babylon says it's of man, it's by man, and it's for man. Okay? Do you think that's the spirit of the gospel of God? It's just the opposite. You see, we're connected with the Jerusalem above. We're not connected with Babylon once we're saved. Babylon is arrogant. In fact, let me show you another verse on this, the future judgment of Babylon. You go to Daniel chapter 13. Not Daniel, there is no Daniel 13. Isaiah 13, please. Go to Isaiah chapter 13. And at verse 1, Isaiah 13 and verse 1. Isaiah 13, verse 1. The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, son of Amos, did see. So here's the burden of Babylon. But just to show you a little bit about it, looking at verse 11. It's going to incur the judgment of God. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible or the tyrants. Arrogancy of the proud. Man, I'm the reason. I'm the source. I'm the means. Uh, All that is godless. It doesn't glorify God. And that's coming under the judgment of God. It's a city. It's a kingdom. It's also a system of thinking. Babylon, okay, the perversion of human government, exalting man rather than just protecting what's made in the image of God. Okay, but let let me show you the Christian, shall I call it a philosophy? It's just the opposite. Go to Romans chapter 11. Book of Romans chapter 11, please. Paul's been teaching the gospel of grace, the person of Christ, the work of Christ. We're not saved by the law or works, but we're saved by a free gift from God uh, that not only saves us, He indwells us, He changes us, and He's turned to the Gentiles beside the Jews. He's been dealing with things like that. And as he concludes God's sovereign dealings in His gospel of grace that's received by faith, As he concludes that, we get to the end of Romans chapter 11. The end of chapter 11. And look at the last verse, verse 36, what he says here. Romans 11, verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. You know what the Christian philosophy is? 
For of Him are all things. God is the source of all things. He's the source of salvation. He's the source of His church. God is the source, not man. But not only all things are of Him and through Him. God is the means. God will make it happen. I will build my church, He says. Man, today is going mega again. We'll get everybody in one place, have all this infrastructure and uh, uh, programs and money, and you seem to accomplish a whole lot. And the design is of man, and the means is of man. But God's gospel and things that accompany God's gospel, it's not only of God, it's not only of Him, it's through Him. He is the source and He is the means, but He's also the reason. Look, uh, of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Everything is for the glory of God. You know, our gospel's like it. Did you have anything to do with your gospel? God designed it. He did the work through Christ. He saves you through faith. Uh, and He get to God be the glory, we read. The church needs to function that way. That it, it's, it's not what I build. It's not and how good we are and how we get things done. A mega church, as they say today. Uh, God scattered His people in the New Testament. There was a persecution in Jerusalem. And they left Jerusalem. And they went into small groups called churches throughout the whole world of that day. And they'd have to be dependent upon God because all things are of God. He can make it grow. He can save. All things are through Him. He's the means. And all things are to Him. No flesh should glory in His presence. So we get this consolidation thing. It's a Babylonian attitude here. And so we see here the opposite of Babylon is what you and I hold. That it's of God. It's through God. It's of God, by God, and for God. I'll just plant a little seed. In case you think your government is the perfect government in America, and I like America. It's a government that's built on a mantra of of the people, by the people, and for the people. Does that sound familiar? Of the source, the people. By the people, the means. For the people, the reason. Let us make us a name. And so Babylon is the perversion of government. Man fails. Now, when man fails... There is divine judgment. Go back to Genesis 11, please. We saw the city and the tower. Any comments so far, brothers, as we go back to Genesis chapter 11? The dispensation of human government. Okay, Genesis. Yes, Brother Eddie? Uh, no, 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 man. Goodness, brother. <laughs> no, I, I just, I, I'm going to make sure I don't step on it. Can I say something about 12? You can say something. Oh. Yes. The Bible is two stories. Yeah. Either you making your name great or God making your name great. Yeah, that's good. And Abraham follows it up. God's Chapter. That's beautiful, but thank you, brother. I will do it. Because now it's of God, by God, and for God. Amen. I tell you what, 10 years have done for you and your questions is amazing, brother. <laughs> Praise the Lord for His grace. <laughs> thank you, brother. Okay. All right, uh, Brother Malcolm. But while we recognize that governments fail, and, and like you said, by, uh, even a democracy, right? Yeah. We still, as believers, are under that government and do have responsibility, right, according to the Scripture, to uh, pray for those that are in authority over us. So 
Yes, I'm going to get to that in a minute. The, the government continues. Government continues. Yes, I, uh, thank you, brother. Okay. Uh, you go here to Genesis chapter 11, and looking at God's judgment here, and we've talked about it a little bit already, but we get to verse 5. Genesis 11, verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men did build. I like the language of Scripture here. The Lord came down. They're building this big tower, and they're looking up, and it's built in the heaven. And God says, I'd like to see it. I'll have to come down. The Most High God. <laughs> and anyway, verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. They can do it. The communication of being able to communicate in one language. By the way, while we have different languages today, the electronics, Internet, and everything is bringing everybody together as one, you know. Uh, and look what man's doing with it. But that's another story. Uh, and so, verse 7 Go to, let us go down and there and confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. And so the Lord scattered them. We see the confusion of languages. And rather, somebody says, I need a brick for over here. Robert Scott, you know, I can't understand what they're saying. And so the whole thing breaks down. When communication breaks down, the whole thing breaks down. And so the languages are confused. Therefore, it's called Babel, which means confusion. And so we see the introduction of foreign languages was a judgment of God, really in mercy, was a judgment of God to stop their building project of saying, let us make us a name so we don't have to be scattered. To take him from man to God. So a judgment of the confusion of languages here. Now, uh, if you look at verse 8, which I already read, I'm going to read 8 and 9 again. Genesis 11, verse 8 and 9. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence the Lord did scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So the confusion of languages. But was there divine grace to continue? He didn't bring them to an end. He didn't kill them all. He disciplined them so they would scatter. And so the seed has just scattered and now you're going to have the human seed all over the world. And so divine grace to continue is in verses 8 and 9 of our chapter. The people are scattered. They're not killed. They're scattered. And so the world is going to be populated with those that are in the image of God. Now there's more to say on this, and that would be the upper part of your chart. We saw that by man shall man's blood be shed, uh, but we see the perversion of government. You see God's judgment of languages. And then you see the people scattered. But, but as you look here, it continues. You look at government in the upper part. It continues throughout now. And as Brother Malcolm brought before our attention, attention, we already saw that Nebuchadnezzar, God gave him the kingdom. God hasn't done away with government. It, it's still of God. And, of course, you get to the New Testament, and that's exactly what Paul teaches. You go to chapter 13 of Romans. Government still is of God. Can it pervert itself? Yes, but it's still of God. Government has not been done away with. But it started in Genesis 9. Dispensation of human government here. So going to Romans chapter 13, which you could probably quote back to me, but going to it here. And we'll start with verse 1 here in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. 
Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. For the powers that be are ordained of God. No power but of God. Think, think that one through. <laughs> and, and then verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they shall resist, resist, they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. He wrote this when Nero was in power, by the way. Uh, Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Uh, They're there to restrain evil. As much as we don't like politicians and government and policemen, maybe, or whatever, you take them away and try to walk down your streets at daytime. You know, it'd be anarchy, okay? They do restrain evil. Verse 4, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God to uh, revenge or to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so it still is meant to protect humanity. You could not survive without government. And they're the ministers of God, and we are to obey them. Peter says, obey every ordinance of man. The only exception would be when it's against the commandments of God. Then you ought to obey God rather than man, Acts 5.29. But you're to obey their ordinances. And in fact, as Malcolm says, our responsibility to government has been put in a little ditty that has three main words in it. And this is, as a Christian, here's what your responsibility is. To pay, pray, and obey. You know, that's it. Pay taxes, Romans 13 will go on to teach. Uh, Obey, obey their ordinances, submit yourselves. And then Timothy is told that we should pray, make intercession for them. You know, as as rivers, as the rivers of water, it says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will, Proverbs 21.1. Just like he moves a river, he can move a king's heart. He moved Nebuchadnezzar's and saved the man. So we need to pray. And we're to pay our taxes and we're to obey. Beyond that, uh, the New Testament is not given any instruction to change government, to reform it, to bring in Christian utopia. Uh, God's going to end up judging it eventually. But for now, they're the ministers of God to restrain evil. And so government continues, like every other dispensation here, uh, it continues on. But that in a little overview is the dispensation of human government. Something new was dispensed by man. Shall man's blood be shed. Okay, uh, capital punishment, the authority to prosecute, Genesis chapter 9. Any comments before we move to number 4? Well, as we move to the fourth dispensation, something God has dispensed that's new, a revelation that's new, it takes us to the next chapter that Brother Eddie mentioned, and that would be chapter 12 of Genesis. Chapter 12 of Genesis. That's called the dispensation of promise. The dispensation of promise. And there are covenant promises to Abraham and his seed. Something new will be given that was never given before. It's going to be revealed to Abraham and his seed. The reason it's called promise is God is making promises. Promise is what God will do, not what man will do. Promises, we heard what God says, I will do. And the reason it's called promise is because the New Testament gives it that label, what he did with Abraham. So keeping your hand here in Genesis, just jump for a minute to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3. 
And maybe some brother could read nice and loud verse 18. 318, some brother, please. God gave it to Abraham by promise. It's not of the law. You see, law means I have to do something to get it. And we'll talk more on this on the covenants tomorrow, Lord willing. If if I do this, then I've earned this. Promise means God gives it to you without you working for it. It's just a promise. God made you a promise. He'll keep his promise. Law means you only get it if you do this and don't do this and do that. That's what law is. It's a performance, and we'll see it when we get to it in the next dispensation, that if I want the blessings, i got to do. i got to do. Promise is, I'll just do it for you. Let me give you an example. Uh, you tell your children, you know, uh, Lord willing, on Saturday, Mom and Dad will take you out for all the pizza and ice cream you can eat. If. If you make your bed without a wrinkle. If you have no attitude with your brothers and sisters. If you get straight A's on your report card. Well, there's a promise. But they only get the promise if they perform. My children would not see the pizza and ice cream. I don't know about yours. But uh, uh, I'd save some money. Huh? Uh, it, it, was a, it was a promise. But a promise it was their performance. Or I could say it another way. Lord willing, on Saturday, mom and dad will take you out for all the pizza and ice cream you can eat. Period. Nope. Now it's what we will do. If we're faithful, they got it. There was no performance involved. What God is doing to Abraham, he's not giving it to him by law. If you'll do this, that's going to come later. What he's doing by Abraham is, I promise I will do this. And so it's called the dispensation of promise. We're leaving the dispensation of human government, that is the teaching. People say, if you just have the right government, it'll change man. God says, I've been there, and the thing was corrupted. But now we come to promise, unconditional promises that are void of human performance. And that's what is revealed. This is a dispensation of promise. It's made to a man named Abraham in a seed. It is big. It is great. So we're back to Genesis chapter 12. And you might want to go to your outline sheet 2 of the divine plan and look at number 4 there. Because we'll be referring to some of the things we have listed there on there for you. But but looking again at verse uh, 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Okay, here he was to leave his inheritance or his country and so on. Now the Lord. We mentioned this morning, now the serpent from chapter 3 to 11. But now the Lord, God's answer to the corruption of man. And so he appears to Abram and he says this in verse 2. Here come some promises. And I will make of thee a great nation... And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. He goes on later to talk about Abraham's seed. In you, out of you, in you, in your seed, in your offspring, the whole families of the earth will be blessed. Now, if you look at your little sheet here under number four, covenant. Uh, In these promises to Abraham, there's a personal aspect, there's a national aspect, and there's an international aspect to this promise. The personal aspect we've just read here, I will make of thee, or I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Is his name great? Did God keep that? 
I tr we get to travel all over. Everybody knows about Abraham just about. A lot of religions claim him. One of the most famous figures on earth is Abraham. Uh, he has a great name. But there is a national aspect here. It's in the first part of verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation. Now, a lot of us have children, but they don't become a great nation of a whole, race, a whole nationality of people, do they? But he would. Through his seed, Isaac and Jacob, or changed to Israel, the children of Israel, the Jewish people. Uh, he became a great nation. So there's a national aspect of this promise. There's a personal aspect of this promise. And Israel exists today. But there's an international. You look again at the end of verse 3. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Oh, but just not thee, just not a nation. All families. In other words, there's a blessing for the whole world in thee. That is his seed, as it goes on to say. Uh, look at this promise if you go to Genesis 22. It's in the Old Testament several times. It's repeated in the New Testament. You go to this great promise here to Abraham. God says, I will. Genesis 22 Verse 18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. All the nations in thy seed. And so a promise that in Abraham and his seed, all the nations would be blessed. And therefore, whoever curses Abraham, it says, uh, 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 will, will be cursed. And uh, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee. And so promises of blessing, as far as Abraham is concerned, it's all blessing. It's all blessing. I will bless thee. Cursings are not promised to Abraham in his seed. It's promised to those who curse Abraham. But to Abraham I will bless thee, and thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So with Abraham we're connected with promises of blessing. I will. I will. Not conditioned on man's performance. What God himself will do. We've entered the dispensation of promise where God is going to bless the whole world, not only Abraham, not only the nation that comes from him, but all the families, all the nations of the earth will bless in him and his seed. And it's not based on if you'll do this, if you'll do that. I will, I will, I will. It's called promise because God promised he would do it. It's not called law for that is what you promise you will do. And that will be the next dispensation and you'll see the contrast. So, so there is the new thing revealed. That had never been revealed before. That the answer is in Abraham and his seed. Now we've talked about that a little bit this morning, didn't we? That that seed is Christ, right? Galatians 3.16. That seed was Christ. Born of Abraham, David, and so on. And it's in Christ that all the nations are blessed. Let's go back to it one more time to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. You know what? Hang on to that thought. Hang on to that thought. Because that, that's going to show how to continue. So uh, we'll get there in a minute. But let's go back to our bottom part of the chart. Given enough time, man fails. Remember he was told, I will bless those that bless thee, and I'll curse them that curse thee. For a while, Abraham's seed, Isaac and Jacob, and Joseph came out of that. Remember, Joseph went down to Egypt, and the Pharaoh exalted Joseph, who is Abraham's seed, didn't he? 
And so you have Joseph dispensing bread in a time of famine to all the nations he's exalted. And Egypt is the number one nation. They're selling bread. They're becoming very rich. And all the world is surviving. And they're going to Joseph for bread. And so the book of Genesis will end with the whole world being blessed by Abraham's seed in the person of Joseph. The whole world surviving in famine because a man called Joseph, who is Abraham's seed, is blessing them and dispensing bread to them. And Egypt is exalted. But eventually that Pharaoh dies, right? And a Pharaoh comes to power who knows not Joseph. And he begins to curse the seed of Abraham and kill their baby boys and so on. You know what happens to that nation, don't you? (laughs) They now come under the judgment of God. The promises of God, they now curse the one that God made the promises to. And so go with me to Exodus chapter 5, man's failure. Exodus 5. Given enough time, they turned on Abraham's seed. And the blessings quit. As promised. They're now slaves in Egypt. Slaves in Egypt. And we get to verse 1. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. I want my people to hold a feast to worship me. So let them go. They're in your slavery, but release them so they can go out in the wilderness and hold a feast to me. You know what Pharaoh's answer is? Verse 2. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Who is the Lord? I'm the king here. Uh, I'm the God here. I don't know this Lord. I'm going to let him go to someone I don't recognize and honor. I'm not going to let him go. Verse 3, And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, uh, let the people from their works get you to your burdens? You've got too much time on your hands. You're talking about freedom? Get back to your work and I'll give you more work to do. Verse uh, 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 6. Or verse 5. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day and the taskmasters of the people and their officers, and ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore, to let them go and gather straw for themselves. Uh, in this brick making, they've got to go out and farm their own straw now and get their own. And he just increased their labors, and the whip came down, so to speak, in their slavery. Now Abraham's seed is being cursed. God has promised blessing. And Egypt, the world, was blessed by Abraham's seed. They survived under Joseph, and Egypt was exalted. But now we see the failure. Give it enough time, man will fail. You say, give man great promises. Well, God's done that, he says. And man will turn from those promises. So, if the pattern continues, you may expect when man fails, divine judgment, right? Have you seen that happen? Well, looking at divine judgment, you then have the plagues and death of the firstborns. It's Exodus and on. The flies, the locusts, the darkness, the lice. And then God kills the firstborn. God kills the firstborn. You see, the judgment and Pharaoh's firstborn die. An animal too. And a great whale goes throughout Egypt. You know the story. I'm not even going to read it for you. It's in Exodus 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Well, let's just look at one verse here in, in chapter 11. Go to Exodus chapter 11. The judgment of God falls. Exodus 11. 
And look at verse 4. Exodus 11 and verse 4. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beast. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall there be any like it any more. A great disaster is happening, and the death of every firstborn in Egypt is going to die, including the Pharaoh's throne. Okay, including the Pharaoh's throne. Look at chapter 12. What he says here in verse 12. 12, 12. And I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. They trusted the gods. God would show His greatness over the gods and judge them. And so the judgment of God is falling at this stage in the death of the firstborn and the other plagues that preceded it. So we see uh, number four here, plagues and death of the firstborn, the judgment of God. But as always, there is God's grace to continue. So what does he do? He provides salvation from that death of the firstborn for his people Israel. And he'll deliver them from it. The whole plan won't come to an end. Uh, and so you see, uh, we know it well, but look at verse 13 of chapter 12, what God did. He's chapter 12, Exodus, verse 13. The blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. They were to take a lamb without blemish, a spotless lamb. Personally apply that blood to their front door, the upper lintel, the two side posts. And God says, I'll pass through. And when I see not how good you are, when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and the plague will not be upon you. And so God's provision, people escape. There are some people who escape that judgment, who put the blood of the spotless lamb, personally applied it to the front door. And God says, I'll pass over you. I, my judgment won't, I'll be over your house, so the judgment won't come in and get you. And we're told in the New Testament, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We have a Passover we're protected in the sacrifice of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, our Passover, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Or shall I say 1 Corinthians 5, 7. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And so we have this divine grace to continue. They don't all the firstborn don't die. Uh, when I see the blood, I will pass. And so Israel is delivered and the plan goes on. And so that's a little bit, brothers and sisters, uh, so far of the dispensation of promise. God making promises to bless and someday all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham and his seed. And yet, if you bless his seed, you're blessed. If you curse it, you're cursed. We see man's failure, the cursing of the judgments. But yet, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Divine grace to continue. Now, I want to take you to the upper part of the chart. The upper part of the chart. Promise. Has it ended? We've already referred to it in the last session. This promise to Abraham includes you and I. And I know we are already here, but now let's go to Galatians chapter 3 again. Galatians chapter 3. 
We're now connected to this promise to be heir of the world and to be blessed. If you go to Galatians chapter 3. Paul defending the true gospel in this epistle, but breaking in in his arguments here in Galatians chapter 3, he'll say this uh, in verse 6. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. Now watch verse 8. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, the pagan, through faith, Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. That's the gospel. That was good news. A blessing. And you, Abraham, your seed, all the nations will be blessed. It's called the gospel. It began with Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that it would include us used the word all nations or all families. Not just Abraham. Not just a great nation. But, but all families. As this gospel goes out to the Gentiles, that like Abraham, we will be blessed, all nations in his seed. So it goes on to say (coughs) in verse 9. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. After saying some things about the curse of the law that we'll get into later, let me take you back to what we already read, but it will be a review. And that is verse 16. Maybe some brother could read 3.16 nice and loud. But before you read 3.16, read 3.14, please. 3.14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Blessing of Abraham comes on the Gentiles. This blessing that comes through the spirit, the spirit of Christ, that we have his life. So it goes on to say, we already read this, but verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith, Not as to seeds as of many, but to one uh, and to thy seed, which is Christ. When he was talking about his seed, God was careful not to say seeds, but seed culminating in the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in him as your Savior and your Lord, who died for you and rose again, you are justified like Abraham. And you become an heir of the world. You legally have a claim to these promises. You know, there's some promises you can only get legally, brothers and sisters, such as a will or a testament. Huh? Somebody dies and the will says, all my multi-million dollar estate will go to my children. But the children weren't very nice. Didn't take care of their parents in the old age. And they live next to you, and you're the one that took them to the doctor, and you're the one that took meals and hot soup to their house, and their children were off in the Bahamas or wherever, you know, and didn't do a whole lot for them. And now they die, this rich couple, and you hear the will's going to be there, and you run to the lawyer's office, and you knock, and you say, Mr. Lawyer, I want you to know something. I did this, and I did that. I, you know, you put my name in the will. What's he going to say? You're not in there. You don't have a legal claim. You're not a child. You're not a son or a daughter. That's what the will says. doesn't matter what you did. So you cannot get that inheritance because you weren't legally tied to it. You've got to be legally tied to these promises if you want to be blessed. 
the spirit, the blessings of Abraham, justification, heir of the world. How do I get legally tied to these promises? It'll be through Christ, who's the seed of Abraham. And so it goes on to say here, uh, you look here, uh, again, we'll reread verse 18. Verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. They didn't give him by, by law, by what you do. By promise. And that promise has come in Christ. And I don't have to work to get to Christ. I need just to trust Christ. And when I trust Christ, I'm going to go back to the end of the chapter, of chapter 3 here. And uh, look at verse 26. Galatians 3 and verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. When you trust Christ Jesus, you're the children of God. Legally. Verse 27, for as many of you has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. His Spirit's in you, and baptism has put Christ on you. You're clothed in Him. Water is the symbol of the spiritual reality with the Holy Ghost. And so you're clothed in Christ, and He's in you. You are legally part of Christ through this glorious gospel. And verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you're Abraham's seed. In Christ Jesus, you have Christ's life. And he happens to be the seed of Abraham. So that verse 29 says again, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Right now, if you're saved, you're Abraham's seed. You know what that means? You're legally tied to the promise. It says, And errors according to... To the promise. You may claim the promises. Legally, they're yours. God, God will give them to you. And so this promise doesn't stop with Abraham. All nations and this culminate in the gospel of Christ. The scripture foreseen preached the gospel to Abraham. It's the Gentiles that are being saved today as well as the Jews. And so promises continued. And Galatians 3 builds that gospel upon that. Much more could be said on that. But do you see how the, what these things have in... The similarity of these things, something new revealed, failure, divine judgment, God's grace to continue, and how these things just continue. They don't stop. Something new is just added to it. And so that's a quick overview of what is called the dispensing, the administration of promise. has nothing to do with interpretation. We're just looking at what happened. Any comments, brothers? Are you just waving your hand? You're just stretching. Okay. Brother Malcolm. That's it. The apostles in Christ never tried to change their government. Never. There's a church he's building that's called out of the nations. And that's what we're to change. That's what we're to build. I will build my church. It is correct. However, God uses government, as we, and we are to pay, pray, and obey. But the, the, the idea that I am to change it, I am to put my life into it, uh, I have something bigger called the gospel in the church that's eternal. Yeah. That's where they put their energy. Oh. And then one, one question on uh, promise. Is it, would it be uh, spiritual and material? Because for the promise, you used the, the, the phrase a, a few times, the heir of the world. Yes, I did. Right. So is that from Romans 4.13? That's from Romans 4.13. You want to read it? Right. Yeah. So the promise 
Yes. But is, is, it, is it also material? I mean, yeah, it's heaven? heir of the world. We're going to reign with him. He was promised a city whose builder and maker is God. We get the spiritual justification of the Holy Spirit. We also get the kingdom, brother. Legally, I get it. But if you're not connected to Abraham's seed, you don't get it. You have to have a legal connection, and we do through the gospel. Yeah, it, it, that's why I kept using air of the world. There's a physical aspect to it. Yeah. Romans 4.13, if you're taking notes. Brother. That's it. That's it. Man-made. Kingdom of God. Of God. By God. For God. See, that's the difference of the kingdom of God. Yes, Ron. Yeah, I'm going to inherit the earth, but through Christ, <laughs> not through knocking on doors. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's why I tell them. You can give me something better than I already have. Uh, I, I say, I already am going to inherit the earth through Christ. You know? I'm, I'm an heir. This is a legal thing, a just God. Okay, okay what we're going to do, we have uh, yeah, ten minutes left in this session. So, so because of what's ahead of us, let's start dispensation number five, and then we'll take a break. Uh, in a few minutes. But that brings us to law. The law now enters. And as you see, it begins in Exodus 19. Something new is going to come now that God has not f formally given before. He's going to dispense something called the law to the nation of Israel. So going to Exodus 19. It's, it's a covenant of commandments now, something for man to do, and there will be reasons God does this. It'll contrast with promise, but uh, God wants us to see the difference, and so we get to Exodus chapter 19, and we're just going to look at the highlights. Tomorrow when we get into covenants, we're going to look at more details, Lord willing. But here in Exodus chapter 19... Uh, verse 3, they're out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness, Israel, on their way to the promised land. And Exodus 19 and verse 3, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant... Then ye shall be a peculiar people unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So they had to obey if they wanted these privileges. They had to do something. Uh, verse 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So uh, I, I'm going to bring you to myself. I'm gonna, you'll be a peculiar people. You'll be a kingdom of priests if you obey my covenant. So, verse 7, and Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath commanded, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the Lord, of the people, unto the Lord. Now when I get into covenants tomorrow to make up of a covenant, I, I, I'm going to major on this a little more, Lord willing. But the people said, okay, if we've got to obey to get these promises, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is not I will, as Genesis 12 to Abraham. This is we will. 
It's based on human performance to get the blessings that you promised, kingdom of priests, great special nation, etc. We will do. So what happens next after the great shaking here, God gives them, starts to give them all the commandments there to do. You get the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, written on tables of stone. But then you get all kind of civil law, civil ordinances to do. Go to chapter 21. You get the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, but you get to Exodus chapter 21. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. And that is civil law, civil judgments. How do you treat your neighbor? If you're digging a well in your front yard and you forgot to tell me, and I come at night to pay you a visit and I fall in the hole and break my leg. Who pays for the doctor bill? Well, according to the law, you do. Because you should have had the thing covered or told me about it. Now these are real things. So you have all these civil law judgments. You have the ten moral commandments. Then you have all these religious statutes. How do you behave when you go to the house of God? Jewish rabbis that say that if you count them the way they count them anyway, 613 ordinances. You know, And they said, we will do. So Moses gives them the judgments and the commandments. And then comes back down if you go to chapter 24. Watch what happens here. You have a nation being given law as something they must do to get the blessings. Chapter 24. In verse 3. Chapter 24. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. Okay? First the people just said, whatever he says we'll do. Well, that's kind of a step of faith, I guess. They don't even know what he's going to say. Or step of self-confidence. Whatever you say, we'll do. Well, Moses now is going to tell them what he said. So he comes back in chapter 3, and he tells the people all the words of the Lord and the judgments. Not only the Ten Commandments, all these civil law, hundreds of them. 21 through 23, you can read them, okay? Now the people here to find print, so to speak. And here's what they answer in verse 3. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said will we do. Yeah, we just promised to do anything. Now we know what to do. We'll still do it. We will do. Not I will. The law is built on the people's will. We will do. Okay? People's performance. So, verse 4, Moses writes it down. You know, you can say, it. well, I thought he said this, but no, Moses writes it down. Verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and the twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. So he writes it down, okay? And then he reads it to them. Look at verse 7. And took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. Orally, they promise to the principal, we will do whatever he says. Then he orally gives it to him, we will do it. Then he writes it down. Then he reads it, we will do, we will do, we will do. People promise, we want the blessings, so we will do. So enter the commandments of God which are good, but they're based on the people's promise to obey. Not based on God's promise alone, but if we want them, we will do. And so you have the entrance of the law and commandments. Look at verse 12. 24.12 And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me in the mount and be there, and I will give thee the tables of stone and a law and commandments, which I have written. 
that thou mayest teach them. In come the law and commandments as a means to obtain special promises and blessings from God. And the law entered in Exodus chapter 19. It had not come like that before. That had never been done like that before. But now God's forming a nation under the constitution of law. People say, you give us law. You give us law and order. That'll change, man. Huh? God's done it. <laughs> Did it change anybody? <laughs> Israel ended up living worse than the heathen, Chronicles tells us. And so we have the entrance of law. We have this dispensation of the law of God. Any comments on that part so far, men? Okay. Anyhow. I'm looking at the clock. Man's failure. It's going to take more than two minutes. So let's take our break. And then when we reassemble, we'll begin with the failure of Israel to keep the law. Okay?